Exceeding Expectations, episode 96. Welcome to another edition of Exceeding Expectations, the podcast where we give you ideas on how you can give your customer a better experience. And in this week's episode is with Mark Gordon, who challenges the commonly held view about exceeding expectations, about giving the customer a lot more. And he's got quite a different view on it. So we're going to hear from Mark very soon. Um, Please do share this episode with anyone who you feel would really benefit from some of the um, the advice and suggestions that Mark gives. And why not leave a review for us on iTunes or one of the other podcast platforms. And at the same time, you could maybe subscribe as well. Now it's time for this week's episode. Exceeding expectations, my guest today, Mark Gordon. How are you, Mark? Good, Tony. Nice to be here. And you're in, is it Toronto? Toronto, Canada. Is that where you? Was that where you're from? Born and raised, yes. Wow, and but I guess, well, in normal circumstances, I get the impression you travel quite a bit, but maybe not at the moment. I do. This would actually be a busy time of year for me. Uh, right now, uh, probably around this time, I think I should actually be somewhere in Las Vegas at a conference. Mm-hmm. But yes, as it happens, I am hunkered down in my home office. And so your, is most of your travel like speaking engagements or is it coaching or what is it? Uh, my coaching is all done usually remotely over the phone or through video, but uh, speaking is what really gets me from one city to another. And what is it that you speak about? I speak about customer experiences. I have two presentations, one on delivering customer experiences and the other one on dealing with sort of negative or, or uh, challenging situations when it comes to servicing customers. And how did that all come about? How did you get into doing that? Well, uh, I've been in business since I was 16, and I've been involved in the automotive industry, uh, the the clothing industry, uh, a number of other sort of smaller niche industries. And eventually, that kind of led me into the marketing world because I had picked up a a lot of marketing skills through my past experiences. So in 2003, uh, I actually started a marketing agency. And one thing I was realizing was that marketing had a way of of almost having a negative impact on the customer experience because marketers are all about talking about how amazing everything is, how amazing your price is, how amazing your service is, how wonderful your company is, and they build it up. And then many of these companies and these products and these services couldn't keep up with the message, and you're ending up with customers who are disappointed. So over time, I started looking closer at this and, and really focusing on on the connection between what is said and claimed through marketing and what is actually delivered. And what I realized is that uh, as important a synergy as there needs to be, for the most part, there isn't one. And that's when I really decided to, to pursue that, that direction uh, of customer experience. And at the time I got into this, the term customer experience didn't even really exist. You know, a lot of people were just referring to it as customer service, which is a component within customer experience. So that, that kind of led me to where I am now. And so what was the first change that you made then around that sort of time? I still do the marketing, but mm. the difference is now I come at it from a different perspective. It's really about uh, not only what you say, but then really what you say in terms of how the customer will receive it. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of influencing customer expectations, which right. really is about providing clarity. So customers understand even before the transaction has started exactly what they're going to get from you. 
And if mm. they get that, if their expectations are met, they will be happy. It's that mm. simple. And so what would you say then? So when people are, I guess m- most businesses, the reason they will go to, say, a marketing expert, a marketing company, is because obviously they want to get more business. So why would they go to a to see you instead of a traditional marketing company? Well, my marketing firm, we are a little bit smaller. We're more niche. Uh, we're more of a boutique marketing company. We are full service, but we tend to work with, with smaller companies. Uh, we tend to work more on projects. So, for example, we wouldn't work with a very large company on their entire branding, per se, but we would work with them on a specific campaign. And again, we come at it from a unique perspective that it isn't talking about how amazing you are or all the great things you'll do. It's really about saying what resonates with the customer, understanding what the customer wants and explaining how your offerings will meet their needs. And it sounds very simple, but it's amazing Mm. how many marketers really just kind of miss that key component in the messaging. Well, a lot of people probably don't have a great understanding of marketing, really. No, they don't. I find marketing to be one of those things where everybody believes that they're good at it. It's kind of like painting your house. You know, you think if you have the paint and the paintbrush, that's all it takes. And there really is more to it than that. And uh, there's a lot of understanding and planning that has to go into it. And there's companies that do it well and companies that don't. And we like to to think based on our track record that we've we've done pretty well at it. So do you um, specialize in any particular niche or is it a kind of wide range of industries? What would you do? Very wide range of industries. We are very big in medical, hospitality, uh, the restaurant industry, automotive industry, uh, you know, and then a number of niche industries within that. Uh, it's, it's interesting how we get approached. And what's, what's really fascinating about all this is the fact that what is sort of something old and established and almost considered passe in one industry can be cutting edge and innovative in another with regards to messaging. So that's one really great thing about being multifaceted in terms of different industries is you see how different industries work and you can kind of take strategies and tools that one industry is established and apply it to another industry and back and forth. Great opportunities there. Do you have any customers that particularly stand out in for whatever reason over the time that you've been running your, your business? Uh, yeah, you know what? There's always some of those businesses that, that approach you and they're just starting out and they don't really have any, you know, any, any solid footing. They don't have a track record and you work with them and, and you know, everything kind of comes together and they really take off. And in the span of a couple of years, they, they become major players in their market. Mm. Yeah. And so what, um, where, what are some of the stories where you've really sort of transformed the business for, for whatever reason? Can you think of any? Well, we had uh, one guy here. He was, a, he was an immigrant. He had come from the Middle East, and he decided for whatever reason he wanted to get into the business of selling dental supplies. Not a terribly exciting industry to be in, but this is what he did back home, and he moved here, and he had no contacts. Uh, mm-hmm. He had no building. He, he, he had no line of credit. So he was driving a used van that he had bought for a few hundred dollars. Uh, he was renting a home because he didn't have any uh, enough credit to get a mortgage. And mm-hmm. he was running his entire business off a folding table in his basement. And, and he came to me and said, look, I have no company name. I have no branding. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no contacts. What can you do for me? And mm-hmm. we worked through all the steps together and, and, 
you know, we, we explored different industries and different suppliers and everything else. And uh, this was about maybe 10 years ago now. Well, today he is one of the largest distributors in the country working wow. out of a 30,000 square foot warehouse. And is he still a client of yours? He is still a client of ours. Yep. Wow. So that's, that's quite a transformation. Yeah, he's done very, very well. I get the impression from how you know, when we were speaking before the recording started, you have quite a different approach to, to many companies. It's not really an approach towards the company I have per se. It's more of a philosophy I have towards the whole subject of customer experience. So mm. My belief tends to be very different than, than what is sort of considered the common, uh, the common view. Mm. So, um, so what is that? Well, most people in the customer experience field will use phrases like you have to exceed expectations or continually raise the bar. Um, mm. I've heard some people say things like satisfied is the first step towards disappointment. And the entire premise is that you have to continuously do better. Every time the customer interacts with you, you have to do better than the time before. And by doing so, they will become happier and happier customers will become more loyal. And I come at it from the perspective of that that is essentially not true. From a psychological perspective, we as human beings, we there's, there's two factors that come into play. Number one is we don't like stress. And stress can involve anything from dealing with a negative situation to dealing with the unknown. Number two is that things we don't ask for, need, or want, for the most part, we either don't appreciate or may not even notice. So when you factor in these types of behaviors, for a business to succeed, for a business to really provide an experience that gets customers coming back, there's a couple key things they need to do. Number one is provide a service where the entire transaction is easy, convenient, and stress-free. It's that simple. If they can do that, if they can provide an experience that is, is, is so uneventful, in a matter of speaking, that the customer may not even notice it's happening. That is the ideal situation. And the second part of that is to be able to replicate it each and every time the customer interacts. And so how did this discovery come about? Well, I'm a big fan of, of dealing with people from a psychological perspective, that whole realm. So a lot of customer experience experts deal with it from a business perspective. But we're really not dealing with businesses. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, businesses don't sell to businesses. People sell to people. And people make decisions about where they're going to buy and what they're going to buy based on a number of aspects, most of which are either emotional or based on their, their personal biases. Very rarely do people look at spreadsheets and statistics and, and analytics and things like that to decide what they're going to do. So, for example, when you buy a car, which is going to be one of the biggest purchases you make, it's amazing when you look at the statistics, how many people, the first thing they'll think about is what color do they want the car. Even before they've decided on a model or a make or a brand, they're already thinking about the color because they're driven emotionally. Now, sure, there's going to be certain criteria, whether it's a two-door or four-door or an SUV or a sports car. There's going to be things like that. But even within that, there are a number of personal biases and a number of emotional drivers. And it applies to that, whether you're buying a consumer good, uh, business to business, whatever industry you're in, so much of that really is driven by, by what's, you know, 
what's in our heart, in a matter of speaking, more so than what's in our brain. We're not making as many analytical decisions as we would like to believe we are. So when businesses approach you, um, what are common misunderstandings they have about what you do? <laughs> I think there's a lot of misunderstandings uh, in the fact that when they approach me for business services, they think that, in a sense, we're all about websites and business cards. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the tools and some of the things that we do creatively. But again, they are all built around the concept, or I guess the question of, what do you as a business want to be to people? When someone mm-hmm. approaches you, when a customer who's never heard of you approaches you, what do you want them to think? What do you want them to believe they will get? And what kind of experience do you want to provide to be in alignment mm-hmm. with what they will get? And you know, a lot of people, for example, will say, never compete on price. Mm-hmm. Okay, never compete on price. And I say, well, there's nothing wrong with competing on price if you're going to let people know that that is what you're about. So mm-hmm. you look, you know, in North America, we have the dollar store. In, in England, you have the pound store. Uh, those stores do very well, and they compete solely on price. Nobody ever goes to a dollar store or a pound store expecting a premium quality item. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, because they've done a fantastic job of clarifying that. Mm-hmm. All right? So there's no surprises. So your competitive advantage, what's important is that not only do you establish that internally, so you know how to deliver it, but you establish it externally as well through your marketing. Don't promise to deliver something of quality if you are competing on price, because chances are you're not going to be able to provide a high-quality item if you're competing on price. Uh, on, on the other hand, don't pretend to be the best deal in town if you provide a premium experience. If you're a health club where you know the, the amenities are, are first class and the service and the, and the extras and you know towel service and the spa service and everything else, if you're extremely high-end, if you're a four- or five-star spa, please don't compete on price. Don't even lead people to, to believe that there's an advantage, that there's a price advantage that you offer. Because you're simply going to devalue not only the actual product or service that you deliver, but you're going to establish perhaps a false sense of expectations. Do you get businesses coming to you with unrealistic expectations? Not so much for me, but sometimes for themselves. Yes, they have unrealistic expectations in terms of what they feel they need to deliver. So, again, we'll get, uh, you know, maybe a... uh, a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with a, a carpet cleaning company, and you know he was just started out, and he's you know really focused on on providing great service. That was his thing. He's like, you know, anybody can do carpet cleaning, but I want to provide great service. And when we when we dove in a little bit deeper, we discovered that his service was really no better than anyone else's. It wasn't worse, but it wasn't better. So he really, that was his whole angle. He's like, I'm doing better service than everyone else. And I said, well, what service is that? And we established very early on that his service wasn't any better. That wasn't a competitive advantage to him. So at which point we had to decide, okay, do you want to find a different competitive advantage or do you truly want to up your level of service? And he had decided he wanted to up the level of service even further. So we, we, analyzed what his competition was doing and what opportunities there were for him to do better. And he, he elevated it and we didn't really mention the whole price thing. It was really about service. And uh, we're going to be rolling out some, uh, some campaigns for him uh, in the next week or so. 
Because I guess when you start working, especially with a new business, you can give them a completely different perspective from how they see themselves. Because we, in our own businesses, we're too close to, to really see how other people see us. Oh, yes. The person in the mirror always looks different to us than he does to everybody else. Yeah. It, it's, that's, you know, and for many business owners, as you know, you know, it's, it's an extension of yourself. It's, it's almost like mm-hmm. your child. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, many business owners, they've started it from nothing and it's a reflection on themselves. So they, they see their own values and their own beliefs in that business. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's challenging to say, you know, what you see isn't what other people see or what you value may not be what other people value. So on that challenges thing, is that, can again, can you think of an example where a situation that you had that was quite challenging for, for whatever reason? Well, one thing comes to mind that I, I always like this story is a business's belief that if they go above and beyond, you know, it will be a good thing and they'll, they'll win the hearts and minds of their client. And sometimes these things can backfire. And I'm reminded of a story. Uh, this took place a number of years ago. My son, when he was little, used to play hockey. And uh, every weekend after he played hockey, we would drive home and, and we have a chain of, of, of coffee shops throughout the country here called Tim Hortons. And we would often stop by and get a donut or a hot chocolate or something like that on, on, on this specific day, normally he would change after practice into his regular clothes, but on this day, he still wore his hockey jersey. And as it happened, his hockey jersey had the name of this chain of, of donut shops. So we go in one day, and, and on this day, we were just going to get the hot chocolate. For whatever reason, we weren't going to get any donuts. So we go in, and there's a, an elderly woman behind the counter, and my son shows up, and he's cute as a button. He's about seven or eight years old, and he's wearing this, this hockey jersey with the name of the store the name of the restaurant Mm -hmm. and she sees him and he says she says oh my gosh you look so cute in that shirt that you know she was like just she loved it and Mm -hmm. she pulled out a bag a little paper bag and she filled it with donut holes maybe about Mm -hmm. seven or eight of them and she just Mm -hmm. gave it to him Mm -hmm. because she thought he was so cute in the jersey with the shop's name on it and of course Mm -hmm. we got our chocolate we left and my son was like ecstatic so the following week, he put two and two together, and he's like, okay, when I wear the hockey jersey, I get free stuff. So he kept the hockey jersey on. We go back mm-hmm. into the same shop, but that lady isn't working there. It's mm-hmm. a guy, a young guy, and he doesn't even acknowledge my son, doesn't even look at him, doesn't notice the jersey, nothing. We order mm-hmm. our hot chocolates, and that's all my son gets. <laughs> He didn't get the donuts. And my son was so annoyed because he felt, he's like, wait a minute, last week I wore the jersey, I got free donuts. This week I'm wearing the jersey, I should be getting free donuts. Makes perfect sense. Now, you and I know that there was really no connection from one week to the other, that it wasn't a procedure or a policy, that this woman went out on her own and did something really nice. But we as individuals... We, we see this kind of thing and we start to associate actions. We're, as humans, as a species, we're very big on association, much like Pavlov's dog that would salivate when it heard the bell. But mm-hmm. we're not really that much smarter than, do- than dogs in the fact that we also associate, we just move much quicker. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you were to, to 
go through a similar experience and you bought something from a business and they provided you with something extra, whether it be an extra type of product or an upgrade or an extra service, chances are you know, you'd leave, you'd be pretty happy, and maybe you would share this experience with a friend or family member, or maybe you would go back to the business in the future. And there's a chance, because it wasn't an official policy or the way they normally would do business, that if you were to send a friend or family member, they may not get that. Hmm. As such, they would be disappointed. They'd say, well, Tony got that upgrade, or Tony got that free product, why wouldn't I get it? And chances Hmm. are the person they're talking to wouldn't know what they were talking about, or the situation might be different. Either way, it's going to be a negative experience for the customer. Mm -hmm. So one thing I say to businesses is that it's important that there be continuity, that everybody gets treated the same as a starting point. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can't sort of, you know, start opening the door to, 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 to extra stuff in that first interaction because that relationship isn't there. What's important is to not so much treat every customer equally, but to treat every customer fairly. Mm. All right? And we see this a lot in the hospitality industry, where people who stay at a certain chain of hotels regularly tend to get treated better than those who stay in that chain uh, occasionally. Mm. And, and we're all okay with that because they've established this this tier system very early on with the number of points you get, whether you're a silver member or a gold member, so that people understand why you get to stand in a shorter line or whether you, you know, why you don't have to, you know, go through the same checks or the same paperwork as someone else. They've done Mm -hmm. a good job at that. And it's very easy for all businesses to do this. Mm. Do I'm just thinking about your, um, the coaching you you kind of, you've mentioned earlier about the coaching you do. So do you, when people approach you, they want you to coach them. Do you look for a particular type of personal business or you, again, is it quite varied? It, it is really varied uh, on the industry. The industry itself is not that important to me. It's really about the individual, uh, if it's a, a sole proprietor, you know, if it's someone like a lawyer or a dentist or something, uh, or if it's a larger company, it really depends on the on the culture and philosophy of the management of that company. So, you know, we've had companies approach us and say, you know, we want to deliver better experiences for our customers. We want to up our game and we'll go through the the customer journey with them. We'll we'll kind of do a mapping of that and we'll discover what I like to call sticky spots is areas where there's stress points. So for example, if you've ever called a company, perhaps a telecommunications company and you find yourself trapped in voice menu hell. You just keep, you know, dial this number and that number and this number, and you, you all you want to do is speak to a human being. So mm-hmm. that would be considered a sticky spot because that's a source mm-hmm. of stress. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we might say is, okay, you know what, maybe you should have a human pick up the phone to start with, mm-hmm. you know, just, just right away, one person. And that one person would listen to the problem and then direct the, the client uh, to the right department immediately. So it wouldn't be the customer who decides who to speak to. It would be this, this gatekeeper, so to speak. Yeah. All right. Well, if the business says, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That would alleviate stress. It would expedite things. That's great. But some mm-hmm. businesses might say something like, well, 
we're not going to hire anybody new. That's not an option. We just paid X number of dollars for this phone system, and we are not about to to get rid of it in order to hire somebody new. So <laughs> we might have to move on to the next sticky spot. So if they keep challenging us as to all the way things uh, have to stay the same, then there's a pretty good chance that we will not be able to help them. Hmm. And has the whole the current situation, how has it affected your coaching business much? Is it, have you got more clients or less? Or how is it? Um, initially, we had less. Uh, a great number dropped off. I mean, when, uh, when you're forced to close, uh, there isn't really a lot of need to, to deal with anything with regards to customers. Uh, a lot of them we found were just scrambling to do whatever they could to, to, to function to whatever capacity they could. The whole concept of customer experience and customer service really went out the window, which is interesting because we as a society, and I'm, I'm sure this holds true in England as well and in other parts of the world, where our expectations really dropped. I mean, we started to accept things that we would never have tolerated in the mm. past. So, for example, you know, you, you, you stand in line to go to the grocery store. You have to mm. wear masks. You have to wait for your turn, you know, uh, you know, at the checkout counter. It might be one long line instead of other lines. Uh, you know, everywhere you go, there's plexiglass shields. Um, things that were once you know, easily accessible or not accessible. Things that were once open are now closed. Uh, gyms and health clubs, pretty much inaccessible. I know where, where I am now in Canada, uh, hair salons have just started to open, but a lot of them can only operate uh, with limited capacity number of people, and they can't provide all the usual services they once did. So mm-hmm. we as a society have begun to tolerate it. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily accept it, but we tolerate it. So the customer experience aspect has really gone out the window. But now what's happening is as more businesses start to open, they're, they're encountering various degrees of tolerance from people. And they're ending up with customers who are getting quite annoyed because they feel that things should be almost as they were. And they're getting other customers that are almost equally annoyed in the fact that they feel things are moving too quick, that there's not enough safety um, protocols in place. So that dialogue is starting to happen again, where, where businesses are saying, okay, what can we do to make sure that our customers know what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Because as I talked about earlier, the whole, one of the, the, the components of stress or one of the, the causes of stress is not knowing what's going to happen, that sense of unfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. That can cause stress. So if you go into a business or a restaurant and you find out that the, the menu is half of what it was. Uh, they can't do indoor seating. You know, you have to wait. All these other things, well, that's a cause of stress. But if you knew that ahead of time, you may not like it, but at least at least you'll be prepared for it beforehand. Hmm. And how has, so that's how your coaching business has changed. What about your speaking business? Are you doing more like, sort of online conferences and so on? Not really. Some speakers are. Uh, some of my colleagues have, have moved online. I'm more of a live speaker kind of guy. The way I, I move around the stage and interact with the audience, live is really something I focused on. But what I am doing uh, something right now is I'm working on an online program, uh, which will essentially be a deep dive that delivers what I cover in my keynote on, on a much deeper level over a, a course of, of six episodes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm working on now. But uh, no, for me, you know what? 
I have not seen a stage since last February. <laughs> wow. And you touched upon it just now, but how do you, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's impossible to say what's going to happen with this whole COVID situation and when it's eventually going to finish, but can you, do you have any ideas on how customer experience might change? That's a really tough question. Um, mm-hmm. I've thought about that a lot and I, I told myself for a long time that people were going to be very excited and eager to go back to the way things were. But mm-hmm. now I think I've changed my mind in the fact that it's going to be such a gradual change. Uh, my belief at one time, there don't be a sort of a, um, a switch, if you will. You know, at some point the government would say, okay, we've dealt with this. It's done. Business as usual. But mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be the case anywhere that I'm seeing. In fact, sometimes yeah. it's two steps forward, one step back. So I think people's expectations have changed with regards to to everything. Everything from whether, you know, public transit, dealing with businesses, getting together with friends and family. Not only do they seem to be be not only do they seem to have changed, but they seem to be changing almost daily or weekly. So things mm-hmm. that were not acceptable a couple of weeks ago are now acceptable, but people seem almost um they seem to be lacking confidence in the fact that things will continue to move in that direction. So the whole customer experience thing, or even our, our, our expectations as consumers and as individuals seems to be on very shaky ground. And I think that that is causing a lot of stress for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we touched upon this quite, you know, sort of about 15 minutes ago. What does the phrase exceeding expectations mean to you? Well, for me, it's really about giving people exactly what you tell them you're going to give them. And I know that doesn't technically mean exceeding expectations, but it does in the fact that so many businesses don't do that. They don't really deliver what they say they are going to. So it could be argued that, relatively speaking, if you say you're going to do something and you actually do it, that is, in effect... (laughs) exceeding Mm. expectations because I think a lot of people don't expect that anymore. Mm. How would people find out more about you, Mark? Where would they go to? All they have to do is visit markgordon.ca. That's Mark with a C. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a number of articles, a number of articles that they can check out, quick reading, and and there's some videos on there as well where I explain different concepts and ideas. And as well, they can get in touch with me if they want to reach me directly or, or inquire about coaching or speaking or anything like that, um, pretty easily accessible. And what are your main social media platforms that you use? Primarily LinkedIn and Facebook. Those are the two. I'm not a big fan of Twitter, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't really use Instagram much, I have to say. <laughs> right, okay. And do you have a, a book that you would recommend to people? Well, funny enough, uh, I'm not a huge uh, reader of, of business books outside of, of my core subject uh, of mm. customer experience and customer service and things like that. I've done a lot of reading in that, but those books can sometimes be pretty dry. When I'm not reading those, what I like to read are biographies. I like to know the lives and experiences of other business people. And I just finished Shoe Dog, the story of mm-hmm. Phil Knight, the guy who started Nike. And 
if you're a business owner, whether it be a, a new one or, or someone who's been uh, running a business for, for many, many years, I think you'll find the story interesting because it really is um, a book about both failure and success. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you ever think, boy, this, this, these challenges, you know, uh, only happen to me and these hardships only happen to me. If you read this book, you'll see they happen to everybody. Even big companies like Nike can go through these, these terrible, terrible experiences. So it's, it's almost a, a comforting book to read. And, and finally, is there a quotation that you like, Mark? Um, one quote that I find myself always saying, and uh, I don't know if I can take credit for it, but I've always believed that nobody will ever complain that dealing with you was too easy and too convenient and not stressful enough. Mm. Yeah, that is that is good. So, do you use that often at your in your talks? I, I, I do, I do. Yeah, they'll always complain uh, about the negative, but people will never complain about the positive. And and I think sometimes the best experiences you can deliver are the ones where people don't even notice. It's like when you go into a, a coffee shop. And you, and you line up and you buy your coffee and throughout the entire experience you have your face down into your phone and you're busy checking email and texting and you leave and you can't remember the name of the person who gave you your coffee. You don't remember the, whether the place was full or empty. You don't remember the music that was playing in the, in the sound system. But you know what? You walked out getting exactly what you came in for. And that kind of experience, one that is so uneventful, so boring, so dull that you couldn't even take time noticing it, sometimes in itself be the most perfect of experiences absolutely well mark thank you for sharing all your your wisdom over the last half hour thank you um and uh yeah i look forward to to maybe meeting you one day yes definitely in the plans (laughs) lovely thanks mark thank you next week episode 97 and we head over to savannah in georgia to speak with jeff thatcher founder and chief creative officer at Creative Principles and also the author of a book called The CEO's Time Machine. So we're going to find out a lot more about Jeff and marketing strategy, corporate communications and a lot more in next week's episode. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Mark Gordon. Please do share it with someone who maybe would really benefit benefit from some of the advice that Mark gave, some of the stories that he, he said and do subscribe, leave a review and I hope you have a great week.